Cooking with Chopsticks. The truth about dictatorships. A podcast with Chin Li Wen and Marcel Chan. Okay, hello Li Wen, how are you doing? Hello Marcel, I'm fine, how are you? So a new year, we have a deal, right? Uh, last year, Europe and China finally came to an agreement with his CAI, his Comprehensive uh, Agreement on Investment. Yeah. So it took seven years before they finally find a solution. What is your first take on that? A big deal, right? Big deal. Yeah. yeah. It, is, yeah. It, is, it is discussed pretty uh, contrary, I mean, like, or um, controversial. Mm. What is your take on it? Hmm. My take on it, of course, is very negative, as usual. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Any deal with China at the moment is rather ominous because we all know that further trade and finance engagement with China is enabling a dictator system. Economically, when China is getting stronger, it's absolutely going to strengthen its hegemony, like as we have witnessed with Hong Kong. And we know that Taiwan is at risk, very high risk at the moment. So I think we have to look at this deal from two different levels. One is on the long-term impact. It's enabling a dictator system. And in the short term, there might be some benefits as claimed by many European business, like especially the big multinational companies that are behind this deal, supporting it and promoting it and lobbying and putting pressure on the German government and French government probably also. For them, they really see a lot of potentials there for European companies to gain market access. And they say this is like the most ambitious deal that European Union has made. Let's say China made the biggest concession, which of course raised the question, why would Chinese government do that? Exactly, right? Why would they do that? <laughs> This is something I really wonder. Right? As far as I got, got to know the Chinese uh, mentality, there is nothing like, okay, we, we make some concessions because you're trying so hard, you know, you're pushing so hard, you know what, we, we give, make some concessions. Exactly. You have to ask yourself, what does China want? Well, the most obvious thing is that it's less about the content of, of the agreement, it's rather about the fact that they finally came to an agreement with the Europeans, because a few months ago they had the agreement on the, on the RCEP, and in the same year they really have that deal done with the Europeans. Everything it looks like, it, 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 it's directed towards the US. It's like a sign, like under the pressure they've been, the Chinese government has been for the last years uh, in terms of the, uh, the agreement of, of the trade war. Now they have like, they, they, they got this kind of uh, a signal towards the US. Look, even under pressure, we are able to do these deals. So they gained a lot of face, basically, which is very important in China. And I think this is something that, urged the Chinese government also to go along with the timeline the European actually implemented one or two years ago. I think it's more than face, of course. I mean, face is one thing. It's actually very, very, very solid measure. Very concrete goals there, which is to reduce the bargaining chip of the US. Because once European Union has signed a deal with China, 
Biden administration would have no opportunity to make an ally with European Union to bargain collectively. So, of course, you ask yourself, like, if China is so open with this deal, you know, when it talks with Americans, how would they gain anything from it? Because the Americans could demand the same terms. On the other hand, European Union big industry leaders as well as politicians also complained that the U.S. did not really negotiate or, or make an ally with European Union when the U.S. was negotiating the deal with China in the first phase. The motivation is very clear. China wants to show in the chaos of the world that it is the leader in this sort of regional economic order and U.S. is now losing its leadership. Well, a statement of power, right, to, to have these deals done. And, and on the other side, the U.S. is struggling, actually, even with the European Union. They're still uh, struggling on tariffs here and there. They have <laughs> big issues ahead. And, and, and China actually is like uh, showing, well, we say the long nose to, to the Americans. Yeah, the, the situation is very clear because China, when it comes to market access, EU and US have been more open to China than China to them. It has always been the case. On a reciprocal level, there are lots of things that actually China has set up barriers while Chinese business do it in Europe and the U.S. freely. But the market attraction of China is so big that everybody just swallowed the pills, like this bitterness and just kept on <laughs> going to China anyhow. So in a way, we started from a very uneven footing. But of course, you ask yourself, what is fairness, right? China was in a, in a disadvantageous uh, position in the beginning of the opening and reform of China. It has no technology, it has no capital and no know-how. So it kind of restricted a lot of the sectors so that international companies will not come and just colonize it. Mm. Today, it's, it's a different thing. Maybe part of this confidence that Beijing has at the moment to open up more of the sectors in China is because China already knows how to play the game. And maybe they even play it better. There's definitely one big advantage for, for Beijing generally in all these agreements and negotiations they're doing worldwide with their partners or with their systemic rivals, whatever you want to call them. Mm. But time is always playing for Beijing yeah. generally. Yeah. Because as, a, as an authoritarian system, you don't be held accountable at any elections. Yeah. So as a politician, you just, you know, if the other side doesn't comply to your demands when you are negotiating, you just say, you know what, I have time. Let's do it in three years. Let's do it in four years. Mm. Let's do it in five years. Exactly. I don't care. Exactly. While the politicians from the democratic countries are getting under pressure, mm. get the deal done. Exactly. You know, I mean, it was also important now for, for Angela Merkel, for example, um, within her presidency in the EU, German presidency within the last half year. You can't just, you know, postpone it and, you know, drag it on, drag on. 
you have to, to give results to the people that support you, you know, or you, you're representing as a politician. Especially the lobby group. <laughs> the lobby groups, yeah. Angela Merkel does not need to be re-elected, okay. But um, because her time is running out, she doesn't want to run for, for chancellery. Uh, once more but you have to I think, you yeah, really we, have, we to, have to think from the party's right. perspective you have yeah. to you have to deliver or let's put put it the other way you don't dare not to try to deliver to your voters and uh, politicians are afraid of just telling them you know what no we, we we just take our time we don't do that now because uh, we think it's not the right time rather they want to push to finally have something on paper to show to the voters say see this is what we what we achieved within my time of responsibility, we are suitable to be elected again. If you start to negotiate with this kind of time pressure, with the Chinese side that has everything but pressure on time, basically, you're in a bad position. The Chinese side can really set the tone because they always can say, you know what, we just don't, we don't do it. We don't do it. 1999, I think, Prime Minister Zhu Rongji was visiting the US and he was negotiating with Bill Clinton on the on the WTO membership of the Chinese side. I think Clinton wanted too much back then. This is what I read about it. And, and, and the Chinese side said, okay, no, no, we don't do it. And at the end, it got stuck. When the negotiation resumed half a year later, it was basically in, in Beijing's favor. Yeah. But on the other hand, it's very interesting because Beijing this time is in a hurry, as we know. They want to do it before Biden comes into power. And so it's uh, more like international concern, but within Beijing's discussion groups, you know, high up in Zhongnanhai, they don't have pressure domestically, that's for sure. And on the other hand, European Union could have have more time. They, they don't need to play with Beijing's game because knowing very clearly that Beijing actually needs EU to side with them to play against the United States, that is why I don't understand. They are very much afraid that once Biden is in power, then Beijing will not make so many concessions anymore. Well, it was the European side setting up the timeline uh, in 2019 saying, okay, we want to make this deal done by 2020. And uh, I mean, they were negotiating so long now, seven years on that. I mean, in, in terms of, of free trade agreements, negotiations, seven years doesn't even sound too long. Yeah. I mean, there's even some 15 years passing by without any results. Okay, seven years, but anyway, it's a long time. And, and for the German companies, for the German industry, China is simply a very, very important market. And then there comes the pressure, right? Okay, we're negotiating so long. In 2019, you said uh, by the end of 2020, we have a deal. So get the deal done now. Yeah, I mean, of course, the European industries have been, of course, all the time pressuring the government. And also, they won't do it with such an urgency. China did pressure the European Union to say, sign it now or never. This message was conveyed because I, I could see you from lots of media reports. Jörg Wilke even mentioned about, like, if we don't sign it now, we will regret it. So, so there is a message sent also from Beijing, almost like an ultimate. Jörg Wutke, president of the EU chamber in Beijing. Yeah. And so, so I think the urgency is kind of enhanced by also by the pandemic situation. Business sector is feeling the weight of this economic depression. I mean, from China's side also, even though China is the fastest growth economy now in the world again, Still, the international demand has declined. 
And we also see a lot of uh, unemployment and the worsening of labor conditions in China. In one Chinese internet company, Pinduoduo, you have seen one young girl, 23 years old, died from overwork and the other one committed suicide in the same company and one fainted during the work and sent to the hospital. And the other one, who a colleague who took a picture of the scene and put it on social media and he was fired. So this company is demanding the employees to work for 380 hours to 400 hours per month at least. And so this is a big company listed in NASDAQ and its business is to sell very cheap consumption goods, much cheaper than the normal market price and you see that how the labor condition worsened in many other companies. This company is just one example. And you ask yourself like, whether the Chinese government is also under heavy pressure to lift its own economy. We don't know what is the real unemployment rate at the moment because people don't register for it. And this is another thing when we come back to the investment agreement. European Union's companies think that they could have access to bigger Chinese market. One thing they do not consider is that if we do apply European labor standards on the European companies in China, they will never be able to compete with Chinese companies. It's just wishful dreams. Not be able to because it's not a level playing field to me. Yeah, because the Chinese companies are basically enslavering their company. I'm talking about really like major first tier city in Beijing, Shanghai, Shenzhen, Guangzhou. These big internet companies, most fancy sort of like Silicon Valley style, they use their workers like slaves. And, and every year there are young people dying from it. You would never hear that from international companies, like from Europe, especially European companies. And so how the hell do you think you can compete in many other sectors like telecommunication? Are you really ready to join the game? Are we lowering the EU labor standards when we enter the playing field? This is something that happens for quite a while now, that we are actually lowering our own standards to comply with Chinese demands. And we're doing that for quite a while. That happens not only in economy, but also in politics. China displaces power. It always plays the card of its economic power to make us comply regarding, well, in this case now, the labor rights. But it also happens in politics. We start to put into question our own standards that we developed. And China is starting to shaking this world and is trying to set the rules the way they define it. That's all right. They are entitled to do so. Why, why not? It's just a question if we are willing to to accept these changes of rules for economical reasons, for being greedy? Or is there a point when we start to realize that here's something at stake that is much more than a little money and some jobs? It's about our general understanding of democracy and the way we want to fulfill it with substance, with life. Yeah, I think we need to start to take smarter decisions and to be stricter on ourselves and not always pursue better and more to not actually finally give up on, on our democratic values. And I think uh, 
that we are under pressure to do so. The problem is mostly like now, why is it more urgent? Because I think European Union and um, the Western democracies are digging its own grave for its own democracy if they continue to cultivate China's power. And it's on the home territory now that we have seen how this power could extend when Chinese government could simply demand, for example, officials who were joining a meeting in Sweden and they saw in the hotel or somewhere uh, there were some books about Tiananmen and that they could demand the Swedish side to remove these books from the shelf. And... <laughs> You know, pointing fingers at many things that you do in your home territory simply because they can and you can't afford to cut ties with them or to, to fight back. So you can also argue that democratic countries can also increase its own power in China so as to increase the bargaining chips, but it never worked that way because as we know that China never kept its promise in its past deals. China has promised in WTO that it will allow foreign capital going into the media for how many decades now? we never seen that. I mean, there are here and there some investment, but really not really open. So this time in the agreement, investment agreement, you, you, you see that media like audio and visual business sector, it's open. But are you really sure? I mean, this is very naive because everything in China is, is up to censorship. So, okay, German media company can go to China and probably invest in some of the media there, but maybe your content cannot be published. <laughs> Very often, you cannot maneuver the, in the game. It's the same with telecommunication. Also, the transparency. I mean, in these investment deals, they say that the Chinese SOEs, state-owned enterprises, should be transparent about their budget, their subsidiaries, and etc., etc., to other countries. Don't they know that this is national secret, even in China? Do you think that Chinese government will disclose the real account books of SOE to foreigners? They don't even do it to their own people. In the U.S. stock market, Chinese SOEs come to the U.S. and they refuse to disclose their account books and the Americans just let them do that. But the American companies come to be listed in Chinese market. They just don't get into it. Because I am not yet familiar with what the European side has given out. I cannot make a judgment. But what I know for sure is that the promise on China's side is highly flexible. You know that they have made concession in all these different sectors like car manufacturing and health, financial services and R&D. All these sectors, they say they will make concession, they open up the opportunity. But first of all, do we have a timetable? And second, if we do, do we have any punishment clause if the other party violates it? We don't have either. I mean, with WTO, we have seen, we haven't done anything. I mean, one is the anti-dumping actions that were happening every year in the past decades. And the other thing is now, finally, European Union decided to block Chinese investment into strategic or security-related sectors. You are born and raised in China. So just considering what you see now, 
you see a deal, you see the situation, the geopolitical situation. Did the Chinese government do a good job or a rather bad job? My judgment is that, yeah, they did a good job. Is it something that, that you grow up with and that, that you learn from the, very, from the very young age in China to be a good negotiator in your favor? I think when we talk about the mentality, Chinese system is not a system that encourages win-win situation. In the end, it's mostly really about hegemony, about monopolizing power. The competition there is on a completely different level. Well, especially in, in labor issues or so, right? They, they're trying to do something. Trying to do something means like nothing, really. It's really like nothing. It's just a concession to your partner, to the ne negotiation partner. Give him some face and say, you know what, we're going to try. We write down, we're going to try it, right? For example, with my, with my landlords on contracts, on renting a house and saying, okay, what, what price do we argue if we do this and this and this? You have long negotiations. You meet again and again and again. I always felt like I was doomed to be squeezed for another hundred yuan. So is it something that you learn when you are born and raised in China? Is this something that there is only <clears throat> in a deal, there is only you win and the other loses? Or is there something like, you know what, I like you, let's do a good deal. It's good for both of us. Is that mentality actually obvious or is nothing like this? Is there only if you're negotiating on something that the final aim must be, I win this thing? Of course, there are win-win situations in China, but it's almost like I try to squeeze as much as I can so that I have the absolute advantage. This is one thing. The other thing is the frivolity of the situation. Promise is nothing. It's a low-trust society. You have to be flexible. First of all, because the, the, the whole system in dictator countries or, or totalitarian countries is that the It's in the hands of individual instead of very reliable legal system. In the legal system, the rules are more powerful than individuals. And in dictatorial totalitarian system, humans are more powerful than the rules. So if, for example, I'm an architect, I pitched for the city's new planning and then I get the contract but suddenly the mayor of the city is implicated in a corruption cases and he went to jail the next mayor come in and he would just destroy the plan like he would just say okay your plan doesn't count it's my say even though you have signed the contract with the city government so in such a constantly changing power you cannot really abide by something so stiffly Otherwise, you lose money or you, you simply cannot do it sometimes. So you have to be very adaptive. Why are you not losing face when you don't stick to your word? It is for sure that it is a virtue still if you are a man or a woman who keep your words. But it is a high moral ground. It's not practical, right? If the mayor is already in jail, you ask the secretary to Yeah, look, this is your government, your city government has signed this, like, help me to do it. I cannot do it. The Chinese legal system, we all know, is also swayed by power, political power, as, a, or as well as money. For example, you have an agreement with Hire or with uh, Alibaba, and then Alibaba decided that this is not to my favor. I don't want to do that. They backtrack on their word. 
They deny what they have said. You go to sue Alibaba in the court, and guess what the court will rule? Of course, it will rule in the favor of Alibaba. So there are lots of things that that is not about culture. The culture is shaped by the legal system, and actually, if you go to Shanghai, for example,、uh, which has a long history of trading with the Western companies. Shanghai companies are much more abiding by rules. Shanghai people have this mentality of like abiding by rules more than people from northeast part of China, for example, where the state-owned enterprises rule. Well, yeah, the legal system、uh, in in China. It's interesting that you say so. That the legal system actually shapes the culture of negotiating, and 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 also with that the culture of of. You have the mentality of people in treating each other, right? It comes down to it starts on a very high level, on an、uh, on an entrepreneurial level, but it also goes down to the to the private level, right? It trickles down to the very to the very core relationships of people. So we'll see what what happens with the with the EU China deal. It is、uh, although it has been agreed on, it doesn't necessarily mean we will have a deal, because with all these deals, you always need to. Ratify it in all the parliaments in Europe. This is、uh, overall thirty-seven or thirty-eight, including regional parliaments. So that makes it a bit complicated. That was、uh, I talked with with Jörg Wutke about it, the 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 president of the EU Chamber.、Uh, something that that was a, for example a reason why the deal from a European point of view was not too substantial. Because he says, the more you put into it, the more likely it is that the, one of the parliaments just say, no, we don't want it this way. And I think he he thinks that、um, that it was like a concern of、uh, of the EU to to overfreight it and rather cut it down to some elementary things like the market access. Um, to to let it be ratified in the parliaments in Europe much easier, and、uh, well, that will take quite a while before the final text will be issued. Then、uh, the lawyers will have a will have their stance and will correct it or will make their objections or whatever, and then you have to、uh, to ratify it. So it will take、uh, probably well much more than a year before this deal finally、uh, will be implemented. I think.、Mm. Um, That's interesting to see what will happen.、Right? That's maybe maybe there won't be a deal. Who knows, right? Maybe <laughs> someone says no. I'm not. I'm not all right with that. I won't do it. Uh, so uh, let's see what happens, and、uh, that gives some time to the U.S. EU relations also to actually improve、um, after four years of、uh, of deterioration. Actually, yeah. Okay, Li Wen. That、mm. was、uh, was very interesting talking to you. I suggest I suggest we we just hear soon on a gleichfalls. You improve your German. I'm really impressed. I know you speak much better German than you ever would give away. One day we're gonna do we're gonna do a double issue for international listeners and then、uh, for German listeners in German. My、God、father is always、me. complaining that 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 his English is not good enough to actually follow us. So、uh, we need to do that in German one day. <laughs> okay. We'll see. <laughs> okay. Hello. Thank you very much. Thank you too. See you soon. See you bye. soon. Bye bye.
Cooking with Chopsticks. The truth about dictatorships. A podcast with Chin Li Wen and Marcel Chanan.